Welcome to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs from Steadfast Wealth Strategies. In this podcast, we show high-level executives and business owners why comprehensive financial planning and executive bonus structures don't have to be too good to be true. Keith draws on his experience in realistic financial planning, and expert guests share his two cents about academically-based financial planning that you have to hear to believe. Now, on to the show. Social Security. It's the topic that keeps on giving because there always seem to be different answers to the same questions. In this episode of his podcast, My Two Cents, Keith Beggs of Steadfast Wealth Strategies dives into the program and some of the biggest questions, including when to start taking it and how to minimize or eliminate taxes. But first, Keith, let's go right back to the beginning. Tell me, when did Social Security start? Yes. Hey, Patrice, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Good. Looking forward to this. <laughs> right. I know. So we are in the middle of tax season. And uh, a, a question that we get a, a lot from new families that we're sitting down with right now. Uh, one is why I'm paying so many taxes and particularly why <laughs> am I paying so many taxes on my Social Security? Right. The Social Security is supposed to be giving to me, not taking away from me. And so uh, this is this is something that, that a lot of people are curious about. Um, but I do I, I want to give some context on how we got to where we are with Social Security. And I think that will kind of help us better understand our options and where to go. So if we look back and we go way back in a time machine, uh, Social Security was signed into law August 14th, 1935 by President Roosevelt. Uh-huh. And then from 1935 until January 31st of 1940, we were putting, we were seeing tax revenue go into the social security program, but nothing was coming out of it. And then on January 31st, this is kind of like a jeopardy question, right? Who who received the first social security check? And uh, you couldn't have picked a better name for this uh, lady. Uh, Ida May Fuller uh, received, (laughs) received the first social security check. Yes. I mean, what a great name uh, for that question. And it was $22 and 54 cents. So that was the first Social Security check. Um, now, what most people are more curious about is when Social Security started, but when did it start being taxed, right? When yeah. did we start taxing Social Security? And that actually happened under President Reagan in 1983. Now, wait a minute, President Reagan, it, it wasn't until 83? Correct. So the first uh, taxing on Social Security started in 1983. And at that time, it was designed to only affect the top 10 wealthiest Social Security recipients. So only the top 10% were going to be taxed on any of their social security. And that tax was not to exceed 50% of their social security income. So only 50% of theirs uh, could be, could be up to only up to 50% could be taxed. Okay. And then those taxes go back into the social security program to extend its longevity. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So most people probably think, but you would never think Reagan enacted this, right? So so Reagan did this, and, and what he was seeing was kind of the writing on the wall, and then he saw the baby boom coming, and he realized there were going to be a lot more retirees in the future, and that they were not going to have enough money to fund it. Um, but this kind of frustrated a lot of Americans, right? No one wanted to be taxed on this. Mm-hmm. And the main reason they didn't want to be taxed on this is if you remember, um, you know, back when you were getting um, pay stubs, and, and you may not remember this, but people might remember this, uh, getting pay stubs um, that were either handwritten or from a dot matrix computer or maybe even a typewriter, your federal income tax was taken on the whole kit and caboodle. And then you had your withholdings for FICA and your Social Security and your Medicare. So you had already paid tax on the money to the federal government that you were then putting into Social Security. 
And so by the time that got changed, the reason he said 50% is they didn't want to have a double taxation on that oh. money. So he figured you'd probably pay tax and already up to 50% of your money going into social security. And he wanted to make sure you didn't have a double taxation. So that's why he set the limit at 50%. And again, his plan was only supposed to be for the top 10 wealthiest recipients, not 10, excuse me, 10%, right? right, right. 10% wealthiest recipients on social security, not the 10% wealthiest, just the wealthiest of receiving social security. Now, those laws got changed in 1993 under President Clinton. They passed an amendment allowing up to 85% of your social security benefits to be taxable. That's a big we went, jump. That's we went a from, big jump, yeah, Keith. From 50 to 85% that, that could become taxable. And at that time, they set that limit for a single person, right? So if you're making an, ingle, uh, an income or modified adjusted gross income, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a second. Mm -hmm. But if your modified adjusted gross income for an individual was over 34000 then that meant up to 85% of your Social Security was taxable. And then you would think for a married couple, you would say 34, we'll double that to 68. But no, right. it only goes from 34 to 44,000. So married couples, if you receive a dollar over $44,000 on your modified adjusted gross income, then up to 85% of your Social Security benefits are taxable. So there are a couple tax penalties in the tax code for seniors and married couples. Right. This is the one you're seeing right here, penalizing people that are married. You're only getting a $10,000 jump over an individual. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you would think and logically, right, they would double that number, but you're only getting a $10,000 increase before up to 85% of both of your social securities is taxable. Um, the other major um, tax penalty for seniors, and we'll just take a little detour here, yeah. is if you don't pay your RMDs, that's up to a 50% penalty in the tax code. It's the largest penalty in the tax code. And you got to be a senior citizen because you got to be over 72 to have an RMD qualification. So oh. uh, the, the tax code really does penalize uh, seniors and it really penalizes married people at certain instances, but you, you got to be aware of it, right? Don't shoot the messenger with this information, <laughs> but we want to make sure you're aware of these type of things. So that $44,000 number that I just mentioned has not changed since 1993. Are you kidding? No. So if you go and you just look at an inflation calculator and you see if you had, what is $44,000 in 1993 worth today? Really? It's over $87,000. Oh. So a wealthy family in 1993 and on social security was considered around 44,000. If you were getting $44,000 in retirement, that was considered wealthy. That would be considered $87,000 if we just take the value of a dollar in 1993 and bring it up to where we are in 2021. But they have not changed that tax code. So now a wealthy family in America in retirement is considered $44,000. Still That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I would say so. Um, again, this is the uh, the portion where you don't shoot the messenger. We're just trying to get the information to you. But it is a it is a big issue because that's less than four thousand dollars a month to live off of. And and I know there are people out there. You know, I don't want to get into a um, a wealth you know argument here. Mm -hmm. But um, for a lot of people, they've probably been living off more of that, and they want to sustain. Uh, you know, most people's goal in retirement is to sustain their quality of life. Right. Very few people are trying to improve or drastically and change their quality of life or their, the way they live when they get to retirement. The goal is, hey, I really enjoy life. Can I quit working and still continue to do the same things I'm doing now? And most of them are going to count on that social security income to be a large part of that. 
Um, and then when you start taking these taxes out, we'll get more involved in that. That could have a huge impact. Now, Keith, wait a minute. It, if Why hasn't this changed? Is it because the politicians are afraid of backlash? Well, yeah. Uh, Social Security has often been called the third rail of politics, uh, meaning if you touch it, you're probably not going to get reelected. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's one major reason. The other is Social Security is drastically underfunded. It's, it's drastically underfunded. Um, mm -hmm. Starting in 2022, we will start taking out more money out of the Social Security system than we're putting in. So that'll be the first time that more money's coming out than it's going in. And we're only 12 short years away now from when they say that Social Security will only be able to pay out about 75% of what it's saying to people right now. Well, so if they want a third rail, that's going to be a huge third rail issue if you're going to cut somebody's Social Security payment. It is. And, you know, it's, it's been, you know, I think there's a phrase out there, you kind of kick the can down the road, right? And it's always been far enough out there that no one's wanted to touch it. Right. Um, we're, we're getting really close to the end of the road, <laughs> right? We're about to, the can's about to hit the, hit the curb and come back to us. Wow. Um, but, you know, when this, when this plan, when Social Security was put into action back in the 30s, they never expected the longevity and, and, the, and the length of retirement we're having now, right? I mean, people were having 25, 30 year retirements. That was never the plan. Uh, when Social Security first came into action, there were 41 people working per one retiree. That number is under three now. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's a 90% de you know, deduction in the amount of people paying into Social Security versus the amount of people taking Social Security. And also, Social Security was never meant to be everything, the only thing you had in retirement, correct? Correct. It was not supposed to be the only thing you had in retirement. It was supposed to be a supplement, um, almost like a, a government-style pension program, right? If you really right. look at it, that's what it's supposed to be. But it was made to be probably 10 to 15 years long, right? One of the things that, you know, that they've done to try to help this is they've, they've increased what's called the full retirement age, right? To when you can receive full social security benefits. Um, that started, right? If you were born in, in 1937 or earlier, that was 65. Um, they've really started increasing that. If you were born in 1960 or later, that's now 67. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, you know, they're going to continue to kind of tweak that number uh, to get the full retirement age, because what they're trying to do with that is limit the amount of time you're on social security. Right. right. It was never supposed to be a 20 or 30 year program for some people. And, the, and God bless them. They've been able to live that long. Right. We're not want to, you know, we're not mad at people for living too long, <laughs> but the, the, you know, we've, we've just had unbelievable um, growth in, in healthcare, right. In terms of our, our ability and the science behind it and the extension of life uh, on average in here and expectancy of life. And that has really put a lot of stress on the program. Now um, you mentioned full retirement age. What is that? Explain that. Yeah, so full retirement age is when you can receive the full retirement or full Social Security benefit. So like I said, at 1960, if you were born in 1960 or later, right, then that is age 67. So when you retire at, or at 67, you could receive when you get your green sheet where you go online and you see your Social Security benefit number, mm -hmm. that's when you can receive that full benefit. Now, you can start taking Social Security as early as age 62. You take a reduction in that benefit. Forever? Yep. Yeah. So you would okay. just take a reduced number. Now you're going to get that. You're going to get that reduction value for for five, you know, additional years, right? Because you're going to start getting income at 62 right. versus 67, and then you do not. You can actually delay Social Security to age 70, and that's your maximum benefit. And from age 67 to 70, you get about an eight percent roll up each year um, on your Social Security. But by age 70, you have to start taking Social Security. What happens if you don't? I mean, you, th th there's no more increase in the value. You're just giving away money. Okay. okay. Right. So, you know, that, that kind of leads us into 
kind of what, what we mentioned the topic there is when is the best time to take social security? Yeah. And, and you, I don't like to answer this question in a broad sense, right? Cause I, I think if you go out there and you read a lot of the articles, um, when people doing this, you know, they're just throwing these numbers out to a large audience. And I don't, I think it's, it's really gotta be an individual decision. Um, most people tell you defer, 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 you wait till age 70. That's great. You'll get your highest payment at that point, but there's what's called the break even point. When do I start getting more money by deferring social security than I would have got if I started it at 67, 65, or 62. And let me give you an example of that. Let's say I, uh, my full social security at 67 is, is 30,000 or $35,000. And if I start at 62, I take a 30% reduction of that number. Okay? okay. So if you start at 62, you take a 30% reduction in that number. So I would get about 24,500. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. But I'm also going to get that number for five additional years. So if I just times that by five, and I'm, we're going to kind of go slow here so we can follow the math. There's $122,000 from age 62 to 67 that I could have received in social security and that I have passed on to get that higher payment. Are you with me? Right. Got that. Okay. So now I have to make up that $122,000, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I, I make that up at about $10,500 a year, but I got to make up that money before deferring it ever gives, gives me a benefit. Okay. So I got to, so if I just take the 122 and I divide it by the, the difference, it's going to take me almost 12 years. So at age 79 or at age 80 is when I'll get my first additional dollar from deferring social security. And that's assuming you live that long. That's assuming you live that long. Right. You got to take health into these type of factors, right? If, if, if your family does not have longevity, um, that's a huge mm -hmm. risk because guess what? If you die at 72, the government does not make up your back payment on what you could have had. No, I guess it wouldn't, would it? No, they're not going to give you that money back. So you've taken money out of your estate, which could have gone to your wife, right? Your spouse or your kids, but now it goes to the government, hmm. right? So you have to think about it. Now you also have to think of time value of money. I probably need the same amount of income, whether it comes from social security or whether it comes from my own investments to live off of, right? So if I want 50 or $60,000 a year and I'm not going to get social security until age 67, but I want to retire at 62, I have to make up that number. So let's just keep the same example. I had to use $122,000 of my own money because I didn't use social security. Now I could have earned interest on that money and I could have earned interest on that money all the way to age 79. So would I rather keep my money, have more control, earn more interest, right? Or right. do I think, right. do I want to take the guarantee of the increase from the social security? And people have different opinions on oh, that. Yeah. And, and there's not a, a right opinion. So there's what's called the break-even point. And one of the things that we do when we sit down with a couple or an individual is we do a social security optimization report. Mm -hmm. And all that says is, okay, give me when you're thinking about taking it and give me some life expectancy numbers. From your, let, Let's kind of look at your family history. Okay. Let, let's try, like, do we want to say 80, 85? Do we want to say 70? You know, whatever the numbers are, you, they tell us the numbers. I'm not going to put death on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they give us their numbers and we look at the different options. And then we also ask them, how much do you think you can make in your investments if you left them alone? And when we do that, we can run some reports and decide, does it make sense to defer social security 
or if my crossover, when I factor an interest on that money, right? Because we didn't factor an interest when we got to that 79, that was at 0%. If I factor an interest and I, it gets up to 83, 84, 85, then you got to make a real decision. Do I want to bet on having to live to age 86 for this, for the, for my, for this to work? Right. right? And you know, for a lot of people, I would say living to 86 is a victory in itself. Why not just take that victory and not worry about the additional one or two dollars you're going to get at 86, but just have the victory that we're still alive at 86, right? I'll go, I'll go with that. <laughs> the victory. So, yep. so I mean, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people are scared to take Social Security. And if you read a lot of the, the national publications, it's because everyone just tells them defer, defer, defer. And for the right wealthy person, that might be the best decision. Um, but I don't think any individual or, or family or couple um, so just assume that's the best decision for them. I think they really need to dive in and they need to look at what are their other income sources? Um, do, you know, do we want to drain down our other income sources and our liquidity, right? And versus um, starting it. When do I want to retire? What's the longevity uh, of our family? What's the age gap in marriage, right? Some, some couples have a significant age gap. That might have some influence on maybe when the spouse takes it. Um, so I just think that people need to, to spend more time on this because once you make a decision, you can't change it. That's it. You get one chance. When you tell social security, I want to turn it on. That's it. There's no going back. Oh, so this shouldn't be a haphazard thing. And we shouldn't just all assume we should wait till 70. Um, because if we do, you, know, you can't go back and get, you can't at age 68, man, say I should have turned it on at 62 and ask for all that money back. That's not an option. Mm -hmm. So you, I, th I, I really do. Um, this is a this is a big big decision in retirement, and I think it's one that most people don't spend enough time studying, and they just maybe read an article here or there where they just kind of say, okay, we'll take it at full retirement age, or we'll take it at seventy, and they don't really put it in the context of looking at their whole portfolio or their whole mm -hmm. income strategy, and, and I think there's a lot of lost opportunity there. And this and, is where a financial advisor can definitely help you. Right. I mean, I, I, we don't really, we'll give people all the data. If they ask our opinion, we'll, we'll help, we'll, you know, we'll obviously offer our opinion, but I think they need to, people need to get these optimization reports and really look, um, you know, if, if you're not a very risk uh, in terms of investments, if you're very adverse risk, mm -hmm. well, you're probably going to get a higher return in the, in what the social security is going to go up each year than you would in maybe your investments, right? Cause maybe you don't put them out there enough in enough equities or whatever it is to get the higher returns. But if you're someone that expects to make high returns and, and understands market volatility, well, then I, I don't know if I would rather have um, my money out of that approach and, you know, and have it and rely on the government to grow my funds. So there's, there's just some control things there um, that I think people really need to focus on and spend some time to make sure they make the best decision, not only for them, for their spouse, but for their kids, right? I mean, you don't want to leave a hundred thousand dollars in the government's pocket that could have been in your kid's pocket. Well, I mean, well, most people not, some people might be mad at their kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> but in general, right. We would rather that money go to our state yeah. or whoever we want to give it to. It might be a church or a charity, mm -hmm. um, but we could get to choose where that money goes versus just putting it back in the government's hand. Because um, I think we all agree that the government doesn't always make the best decisions with our money. Let's not go there. Okay. That could be a whole other <laughs> podcast. But speaking so, so of which, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier. What about the taxes on Social Security? Right. So, again, anything over $44,000 is of modified adjusted gross income. And what that is, is your adjusted gross income plus half of your Social Security. So, basically, if you're retired, any money coming out of an IRA or a 401k plus any pension money, you add those two numbers together plus half of your Social Security. 
Okay. And for a couple, if that number is over $44,000, then 85% of your social security is going to be taxed. That is ludicrous. I'm sorry. It is. Yeah. So let's just walk to an example. Yeah. So uh, we have a couple. Um, they're getting 30000 in a pension, 30000 in RMDs, and their combined social security is 40000 So their total income is 100000 but their modified adjusted income, because we only take half of the social security, is 80000 mm -hmm. So that means 85% of their social security is taxable. Well, they got $40,000 in social security. 85% of that is $34,000. And at that income level, they're in the 22% tax bracket. That means that they're going to pay $7,480 or almost $7,500 in tax on their Social Security, meaning their Social Security benefit is going to be $32,500, not $40,000. That's a big difference. It is a big difference. And you know, there's, that's another reason some people take Social Security early is because um, they could pull less money out of their qualified plans, maybe keep their numbers down. Uh, reduce taxes on their social security. Um, another a thing we're working on right now with a, with a lot of couples and individuals is, um, I know people may not like to call them the Trump tax cuts, but that's just kind of the name they got them. We have reduced tax rates right now through a, uh, through 2025, right? So January 2025, the tax rates go back to the 2017 number. So we know right now we're paying about two to three percent less per tax bracket. And if we're not doing forward thinking and progressive tax planning, and trying to come come up with some tax deferred accounts later on, um, then we're missing a huge opportunity because if you, we can get some Roth conversions in, right. involved, uh, maybe use some other um, non-taxable financial vehicles. When I pull money out of a Roth, it doesn't show up on my modified adjusted gross income. So therefore I should also be able to keep my social security taxation down. And that's a huge benefit. So if you can do those Roth conversions before you start social security, a lot of couples are able to eliminate that tax on their social security. They can get enough converted. Maybe it's 50% and they're taking 50% out of a traditional and 50% of a Roth. Well, we can still get to that $800,000 income level without subjugating our social security to tax. Keith, so, before you go on further, uh, explain the Roth idea to people, to, to our listeners. Okay. So a Roth IRA or 401k is basically we pay the tax on the money now. So if I had a hundred thousand uh, dollar Roth, or I mean, excuse me, traditional IRA, and I wanted to start converting it, maybe twenty thousand a year, so I would pay the tax on twenty thousand dollars of that today. It goes into a Roth IRA. That money then grows the same as it was growing in your traditional IRA, mm -hmm. but the interest and the income off of that now are tax free, so it doesn't show up on your on your adjusted gross income. Your traditional IRA is counted as ordinary income because you've not paid taxes on that money. So what we're doing is we're paying the tax early. We're getting, then getting tax deferred growth and tax-free income. The main purpose there, one, is we think tax rates are going to be higher in the future. We don't know that guaranteed, but right now that's how it's written into the tax code. And two, we are trying to keep our modified adjusted gross income down so that we can keep our Social Security from being taxed. So we're paying, hopefully, a lower tax now than it'll be in the future, but also we're now saving our Social Security from being taxed. So it's really a double win for some families. Again, this, this doesn't mean it's the best for everyone. You need to talk to someone. You need to you know, have them 
Um, let them look at your financial picture, your financial goals, and they can make recommendations. And we could do that. Or if you have someone else, they can do that. But for a lot of people, this is a great way to pay lower taxes now and then keep their Social Security from being taxed in the future, which is, again, people hate paying tax on their Social Security. <laughs> they just can't stand it. And I agree with them. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. Um, do you see any anybody? Well, do you see any politicians with the guts to take this on? I know there's some stuff in this COVID bill that's supposed to have something to do with Social Security. I mean, I, uh, but I don't. They haven't really talked too much too much detail about it. It's a mm -hmm. giant bill. I don't know where we are with that. Um, I, I don't know when it's going to happen. Something has to be done in the next four to five years. That doesn't mean it's going to be in the clients or in the individual's favor, right? Right. So just because action is taken doesn't mean that. Um, you're going to still get it all. I, I, I tell people, let's plan on 75% of social security. And then if we get more, what a, what a bonus. Um, but if you're counting on hundred percent of your social security and you plan on living past 2033, you could be receiving a huge reduction in your retirement income. Um, and you need to be prepared for that. we we'll just know that that's out there. Uh, and, and, and for sure, um, we want to make sure that we're not getting taxed on it. Cause if I'm getting reduced social security and being taxed on it, I mean, it, when does it stop? Right? Yeah. Right. Keith, how can listeners reach you? Because boy, this is just bringing up all kinds of questions. Yeah. Uh, great question. Thanks for that, Patrice. Um, I can be emailed at Keith, which is K E I T H at steadfast ws.com. And that stands for steadfast wealth strategies. Um, you can find us on our website at steadfastws.com, or I'm always free to talk over the phone. Uh, my phone number is 832-506-9034. All right. That is Keith Beggs of Steadfast Wealth Strategies. You got a question about Social Security? He may have an answer for you. He's also the host of this podcast, his podcast, My Two Cents. Subscribe, and you will be among the first to know when new episodes are ready for you. And of course, share with friends and colleagues. They will appreciate that you are thinking of them. Thank you for listening to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All securities discussed are offered and provided through Steadfast Financial Planning, LLC. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Steadfast Wealth Strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and or qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.